Bible makes the claim that when we search for God, we will find him. What a great promise. I believe that's Jeremiah 29, verse 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And so what we've done in the, in the past few lessons is we've, we've determined that we can find God through prayer. We can find God through his word. And when we look in his word, where do we start? Well, that old song from, you know, that uh, little mountain film in Austria, <laughs> where do you start? Well, at the beginning, that's where you start. We always start at the very beginning. Genesis is a book of beginnings. In fact, the word means beginnings. Genesis means beginnings. And there are so many things that begin in the book of Genesis. We've been diligently looking for God. We've been searching for God. And we open the Bible where he has revealed his will to us and we find him. Genesis is very clear that all things were created and had a definite beginning point, God. <laughs> and everything <clears throat> was well designed by a supernatural designer, hmm. not chance. And God is the one that's in control of the cosmos. And so we begin to see this develop as we've begun our search for God. And I want you to look at this book. It's 50 chapters. It's pretty big. But in those 50 chapters, we have nearly half of our entire history as human beings on this planet. In 50 chapters, God has revealed all of this history, the very beginning of it. And when we look at uh, his revelation, and it comes in two parts. Remember, we've looked at this idea of God's revelation coming to us naturally. We can look around what we see with our senses. We, we touch and we taste. We take it into the lab and we weigh things and we, we get these things. And we naturally, we can see the design of God, but he's also given us this supernatural revelation. It's his word. And we've begun to look into his word, into his supernatural revelation. And I want to just read this from an old Greek historian. He asks a rhetorical question, which is a question that answers itself. It's a rhetorical question in that he says, Can one behold heaven and contemplate what passes there without discerning with all possible evidence that it's governed by a supreme intelligence? There's only one explanation for everything that we see around us. There's only one explanation that fits all of the evidence. There is a God, and he has created what we have to see and measure and taste and touch and all the senses that are involved. He has done this with just a word from his mouth. If we look at the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a scientist, a, a quite intelligent man in our history, not too long ago. He looked at that verse and he said, you know, 
everything that exists, everything that's part of our universe, everything that's on this earth, everything can be found in these few words in Genesis 1.1. Notice if we dissect that, that first verse, in the beginning, well, there's time. God invented, created time. Before this, there's no time. God doesn't exist in time. He exists outside of time. He created time. And in the very first verse, time shows itself for the first time. It's a beginning, the beginning of time. In the beginning, it's time. And notice what the very next word is. God. There is the force. There's the entity that is going to be doing some, and not some, all of the action. Notice in the beginning, God created. There's that action word. That's the verb. And we have, in these few words, we have time, we have force, and now we have action. And notice the last two. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Space and matter. All five elements that everything consists of in all the known universe. These five elements, time, force, action, space, matter, all of it is found in this very first verse. It's phenomenal. It's powerful. Now, this isn't a science textbook by any means, but there's a lot of science in that first verse. Wow. And so as we begin our search for God, as we, we wonder where to begin, we start at the beginning. <laughs> Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And with his, the power of his words, things came into being. Verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And you go down through those verses and you're just amazed. You stand in awe of his power. He just says things and there they are. Imagine if you could do that. God said, I've got that force. I've got that power. He created by the word of his mouth. And as we read down through the very first chapter of Genesis, we notice that there is someone else there. In fact, a few other are, are present. Verse 26 says, let, God said, let us make man in our image. Wait a second, what? Let us? Yes. Verse 2 says, and the earth was, was uh, what's that word? formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse two says there's someone else present, spirit, Holy Spirit's there. And then chapter one, verse 26 says, let us make man in our own image. John 1, 1 tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who's John talking about there in John 1? Well, he's talking about Jesus. And so we have all three present there in the very beginning. God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, 
They're all there. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the creator. Colossians 1 tells us he's the creator. John 1 tells us he's the creator. Who is Jesus? There he is at the beginning when God spoke. The word of God? The word of God caused things to exist. Brought them into being. That's amazing. That's frightening. That's wonderful. This individual, the three-in-one individual, is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. And the epitome, the crowning element of this creation, and if you're like me and, and you go out at night and you look up in the sky and you think, that's impressive, the universe and the space out there and the sun being 93 million miles away and then the nearest star is so many light years away and then there's so many stars, we can't even count them. And verse 11 of chapter 1 of Genesis says, and God made the stars as if it was an afterthought. In Psalm 103, it tells us he knows them all by name. How many stars? All of them. We can't even count them. God calls them by name. That's not the crowning point of his creation. Oh, as impressive as that is, that's not the crowning point. The epitome of God's creation is mankind, man and woman. Let us make man in our image. Let's form from the dust of the earth man, and then let's take a rib from that man and form woman, and we'll bring them together. They'll form the foundation of society, marriage, and they'll create a family. God said, that's why I created everything here. I created that for these people. Adam and Eve, they're named. Yes, we are the crowning jewel of God's creation. But these individuals were given one commandment. <laughs> well, they were probably given more than that. They were told to take care of the garden and they had work to do and it was it, work was part of the process. They didn't uh, sit around all day, but they were given one negative command. Don't eat from that fruit of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. They're in the middle of the garden. Don't eat from that one. And we remember the story or we look down and we read the story and there's the serpent and he begins to speak to Eve and Eve is gullible and she's deceived by the serpent and, and she sins. She looks at this fruit and she goes, ooh, it looks good to the eye. It looks like it's good food and it's going to make you wise. Yep, you're not going to die. That's the lie. Eve was deceived. Adam sinned and because of that, we suffer the consequence of of death, disease, illness. I believe all the weather patterns and all the destruction that they can bring all goes back to that, that one sin. And we have suffered the consequence of that one decision since the beginning. But God said, I have a plan to bring you back into a relationship with me. There's something that's going to be there for you. I have this plan and my son is going to work this plan. We see just this, this germ of this good news there in Genesis chapter 3 about the seed of woman. And the seed of woman is going to bless all nations. We're told that in Genesis 12. 
And it's fascinating to think that this seed is described and given the exact uh, name there in Galatians chapter 3, and it says, this seed is Christ. It's Jesus. Yes. And we find all of this in the very first chapter, first three chapters of Genesis. We see all of this plan coming together, the creation and the, the awesomeness of God and his power. Just with the word of his mouth, everything comes into existence. People are formed and they're, they're placed in the garden with something to do and they make a bad choice. They sin. Yep. That's too bad. God says, you can't live here anymore. And there's only one way back. Into that relationship that you once enjoyed with me, there's only one way back, and it's through my son. And you're just going to have to wait for the plan to be fulfilled. Oh, what a waiting game it must have been. And what a horrible way to have to go through your entire existence looking forward to some event that you had no idea when it was coming. You didn't know when Jesus was coming. Their lives became difficult. Their lives became hard. And because of their sin, man had to go out and work. And by the sweat of his brow, it says in, in Genesis, it says you have to work and, and earn your living. Work? Yep. And women had to suffer through childbirth and have labor pains. and Yep. And the, the earth itself was cursed. Romans chapter 8 says the earth groans, wanting to be released from the curse. It's ready to be released, ready to be destroyed, burnt up, and brought back into a right relationship with God. It says, I'm ready. The earth is ready. Are you? <laughs> See, we look into the scripture, and in our search for God, when we're introduced to him, we should stand in awe. The psalmist would say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in vain, they labor in vain, those that build it. The Lord has to be involved in the foundation, the very foundation. All of our plans, all of the things that we decide to do, everything that we are wanting to accomplish, they need to be part of God's will. We need to look and make sure that what we're involved in has the blessing of God. Because if not, we'll face a consequence similar to what Adam and Eve had to face. They were sent away from their the perfect garden, from the, the paradise. They had this perfect place. And God says, no, not anymore. Your sin, you've been removed. The question has to come to our mind, well, can I succeed Will my plans be prosperous? Will they really work out if I go against God? Ultimately, the answer is no. Oh, sure, you may enjoy a brief moment of prosperity while you're here on this earth, maybe for, oh, I don't know, 50, 70, 90 years. Compared to eternity, what's 90 years? We can't even define eternity. You would think that 90 years is getting close to eternity. It's not even a drop in the bucket. Jeremiah says, the prophet, 
God speaks to him and he says, I know I have the pl- I have plans for you. And these plans are, for, are there for you to prosper. I want you to be successful. I want you to win. I want you to be part of the winning team. I want you with me. Oh, sovereign Lord. Jeremiah goes on to say, you have made the heavens and the earth by your strong arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And when we look for God, we begin to find out about him and we're, we're amazed. He holds the highest power. He has the most strength. He has all the information. He has created wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. And where do we find it? In his special revelation. We call it the Holy Bible. He calls it his word. Yes. We look to Isaiah, another prophet. And we look at a particular chapter, chapter 40. And we say, who's in charge here? Isaiah reminds us that God is ruler over all. When we compare ourselves to him, what if I'm a president of a country? What if I'm a dictator of a country? What if I'm a Caesar or a Pharaoh? That's a pretty powerful character on earth. Do you know who they answer to? We know, don't we? They answer to God. He's in control. You mean the president? Yep. Congress? Yep. Those Caesars, Pharaohs, Abimelechs, <laughs> yep, they all answer to God. They all will answer to God. God rules the nations. <clears throat> when we stop and think about why we're not all immediately removed from this earth because of our sin, because of our stubbornness, because of our ignorance and arrogance, our open rebellion against God. Well, we're told and we're given this promise, God is patient and he wants all to be with him. He doesn't want any to be lost. And what's beautiful about that is his rule is not only over all mankind, it's also over our arch enemy, our arch enemy, the Bible tells us, we're looking for God. When we stumble onto God, we also stumble onto our arch enemy. In the, in the very first three chapters of Genesis, we find out he, he embodied some serpent, some snake. Yeah. Satan's power seems pretty awesome. But is it? Oh, we should fear him. We should be afraid of him. We should resist him, was what the scripture says. But he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He has some information. He generally knows what works for a 60-year-old man. He generally knows what works for a 16-year-old girl. He generally knows. But he doesn't know everything. And we're told and we're promised Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No power, 
heaven, on earth, no demon, no Satan, nothing. Romans 8 just goes through a list, and it's a wonderful list. And you look at all the things that could possibly remove the love of God from you. And Paul tells us, no, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so when we make that realization, when we come to that realization that now we've found him, now we're starting to get to know him, now we realize that he has all power. Now we realize that he has all knowledge. He has the power to save. He also has the power to destroy. Hmm. Got to be careful of that one. It's not all lovey-dovey. <laughs> it can be very, very bad news. When we arch our back, when we defy God, when we tell him no, when we understand what sin is and we go ahead and sin when we fight God. We don't win that one. And I pray that if, if you find yourself fighting against God, stop. <laughs> the Bible calls that repentance. It's a mindset. It's a change in mind. You decide to stop. And then because you've decided to stop, guess what you do? You stop. And the Bible goes on to say, don't just stop, turn. And maybe a better word would be return to God. Hmm. See, we, it's good to stop the negative, but we have to replace that and start doing something. Start doing something positive. God says, I've created you in my image. You can be creative, like God, to a certain degree. Some of you can look at a white piece of paper and paint a beautiful scene, maybe a, a bowl of fruit or a, an image of some mountains and a cabin. Maybe you're a happy painter. <laughs> Remember that guy? <laughs> happy painter. Yeah, maybe you're like that. Maybe you can take a piece of wood, turn it into something. Something useful. Huh. You can be very creative. How, how is that possible? Well, God gave you that gift. Hmm. You're created in his image. And then God goes on to say, here's what I want to see you involved in. Here's, what I, here's your purpose in life. I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy because I'm holy. And I have some requirements that, that you need to live up to. I, there's some things that I ask you to do. And because you love me, you'll keep those commandments. He says, I've given you this purpose. Now go, go tell this good news to as many people as you can and, and be involved in good works and, and do the things that please me. Yep, there's things for us to do while we're on this planet. Maybe you're on this planet for 90 years, maybe 95, maybe 102, okay? But compared to eternity, how long is that exactly? Nothing. <laughs> Remember, it's outside of time. We can't even define it. I, I can prove it. What do we say? How will you spend Eternity, as if it's a checkbook, as if it's a debit card where you have a certain balance. You don't have a balance in eternity. It's forever. <laughs> You're not going to spend it. We can't even define it. 102 years, if you live that long, I'm not sure I want to, but the jury's still out on that one. <laughs>
But apart from God, we're lost. And we find that from the first three chapters of Genesis, and we, we keep reading, and we keep finding more and more out about God. We keep looking for him because we're diligently looking for him, and the Bible has promised that we'll find him. And the more we find out about him, the more we love him, the more in awe we are of him. And what kind of response should we have? Because of his, his love for us, because he has done all this and created all this with his awesome power, with the word of his mouth. I believe one of the Psalms says, he breathed stars. <laughs> Our sun is a pretty small star. There's some big ones out there. You imagine the breath of God and it produces stars? That's an awesome God. Our response should be praise the Lord. Give God the glory. We stand in awe of him. I believe the 145th Psalm says it very succinctly and beautifully as most psalms are. The psalmist says, I will exalt you, God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. And if you haven't read the 145th Psalm, go read it. It just continues verse after verse after verse. Our response to this great and awesome God that we have just now located, there he is in the scripture. We've just now begun to understand what his will is. We've just now found him. Our response should be, praise God. He did this for me. He did this for you. Did we deserve it? No, what we deserve was death. What we received, life. That's the option, life or death. What do you like? Well, Moses would tell his people, choose life. That's a pretty good choice. Choose life. God is awesome. And we've just touched the tip of the iceberg. And the Bible just continues to unfold all of his wonders, all of his works, all of the things that he says and promises, they all come true. And it's because of his love for you. It'll culminate in his own son giving his life there on that cross. He wants a relationship with you. He wants it today. And while it's still called today, recognize who God is and then begin to follow his commands. How do you know what those are? You look for God in that special revelation, his word. And it can begin right there in the book of Genesis. Start today. Seek to do God's will and then obey his commandments.